Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Watkins. Um, my family and I, we've been in Beijing since 2005, so this is our 11th year in China. And as I remind myself uh, every day, uh, it's probably eight years longer than my wife thought we'd be here. So uh, for those of you that have that same feeling, uh, I understand, uh, and as does my wife. Back in, when I was living in the U.S., back in probably 2002 or 2003, I received a phone call from a uh, brother that we supported uh, in South America and Brazil. And he called and we were talking. He was doing a general catch-up, giving me kind of a report on what's going on down there and uh, you know, trying to be an encouragement to him. And I asked him, so what, what have you been studying recently? What's something that's on your heart? And he started talking about a passage that he was been meditating on, teaching on, and uh, trying to understand in a deeper way. And it was from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now at that time, uh, I was uh, the kind of guy that uh, when I heard some kind of anything that resembled a challenge or anything that was related to doing something for God, uh, I would get, you know, you know, very kind of ready to go. I was, you know, immediately get pumped up for it. And all I heard in that passage was, make the most of every opportunity. And for me, that resonated right at the core of my flesh, because I love to get stuff done. And that passage, I tried to start incorporating in my life about maximizing every opportunity that I had. And I began to respond to that in a way that to the world would look potentially very religious or very good. But in my heart, it was about trying to earn something, trying to do something for God. Let us pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to worship uh, together corporately as a body. Father, we ask uh, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit today. You tell us that we can ask for that. You tell us as we gather together, believers, your Holy Spirit can come upon us to bring revelation, to bring truth, to bring understanding, conviction, and belief. So, Father, we ask for a special measure of that pouring out uh, today, that anything that would come from my mouth would be a work of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Last time I spoke in September, uh, we talked about Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Uh, we talked about story. We talked about God paints and tells us his story through the Bible primarily. And he takes us from the beginning of time all the way through to the end of this world and the beginning of the new heavens and new earth. God tells us the story from Adam and Eve, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Jesus and the apostles. He gives us a very big story with many different characters that are true characters historically that lived for th over the last 5,000 years. God uses the Bible to tell his story, and then he uses his disciples to pull those stories open, like Paul. So Paul, all his letters are meant to be pulling up, pulling open the Old Testament, the prophecies, all the things in the Old Testament, and what, God, what Jesus did in his three years on this earth to try to bring it all together for the Jews in particular and the Gentiles to be able to understand the story of God. Now, we talked last time that there's a structure to the, the book of Ephesians. Uh, we quoted a, a, an author, a, a Chinese author named Watchman Nee, and he says, The Christian life consists of sitting with Christ, or resting in Him, walking by Him through the Holy Spirit, 
and standing in him against the, the evil one. He says we begin our spiritual life resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ, that the resting becomes a source of our strength for a consistent and unfaltering walk in the Lord, much like what Rick was talking about earlier. And at the end of the spiritual battle with the evil one, we would be found standing firm with him at the last possession of this earth. Now, another way to say this in one, in one way is God is working into us his, who he is, and then we are to, in this life, to be working it out, to be the overflow to those around us. We also would need to understand that if we don't understand how we're built, the anatomy of a, a person, it's going to be very difficult for us to, to work through this. So I'm just going to try to use an illustration from a movie we watched last night to maybe paint this picture a little more clearly than I have in the past. Every person has essentially three parts to them. You have a physical body, which we all see and interact with each other. We have a soul, which comprises of our mind, our will, and our emotions. In the, in the movie Inside Out, they're trying to paint a picture of what those emotions look like. You know, anger, disgust, joy, sadness. Uh, there's one other one I'm forgetting. Uh, but they're trying to portray to us what possibly is going on inside that brain of ours. Of course, we love the, the teenage boy, what's going on inside that brain, because it's complete chaos. The adult male, kind of like, huh? Of course, the women, fully coherent of what's going on and trying to figure things out. And in this case, the young daughter, who's trying to understand and grapple with you know, her own soul, her own emotions, her own who she is. And we got to understand there's something even deeper than that that the movie can't really portray. There is something what we as Christians believe is your spirit. And your spirit is what is dead before Christ wakens you. And so absent the spirit, you're stuck with those five guys up in your brain trying to control things and talking to each other and figuring out who's going to take control of that moment. And some people joy is prevalent and some people sadness is prevalent. Some people disgust is prevalent. Some people uh, fear is the number one motivating emotion. So imagine as you go deeper into that movie, that illustration of when we look at who we are as human beings, as people, there's something deeper than the emotions. There is what we call the spirit. So Paul is laying that out for us. One through three, here's who you guys are. It's what we talked about last time. Four through six, here's how you walk out who you are in this life. In the end of chapter six, here's how you stand against the evil one and his schemes to distract you from that mission. Now, in 1 through 3, he says, first, guys, you're sitting. Sitting is the visual picture of resting. I did the whole sermon last time sitting. I'm still sitting. I have not gotten up yet because there's a point to be made that we must remain in that position of seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And out of that, not just my salvation, not just my position in Christ originally, but also all growth and service to God comes from that same position, from sitting in him. And then lastly, it's by the nature of God that he's a giver. He wants to give everything to us that we need to live this life, to abide in this life, and be an overflow to those around us. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, this is where we start getting into this week's material, is walking. Ephesians chapter 4, he gives us commands, he gives us observations, he gives us exhortations, and he gives us warnings. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, your position, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for 
one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He goes on to say that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in their futility of their mind. In addition, he says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, your opportunity for the days are evil. This is that passage that my friend Bruce had laid out for me. So Paul's emphasis on this, the subject matter he's, he's emphasizing is as you walk out who you are in Christ, you're primarily doing that in the context of your relationships. And he lays out five major categories of relationships that you have. So I'm going to highlight some of those and, and give some examples of what that might look like. So he says, one area that you work this out is in the body of Christ itself. So with the fellow believers. So people that would claim to be followers of Christ, you're going to be living out who you are among them. And this is what he says to us about those relationships. He says, show tolerance for one another. Respect each other's roles in the body as pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. As uh, Brother Penner, uh, last, or Penner was saying last week, he said, um, you talked about speaking the truth in love to one another. That the, those words are to edify and bring life, not death. Be kind and tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And lastly, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, I don't know why he needs to give us so much advice about how to relate to one another. I think the body of Christ does just a great job of that already, don't you? <laughs> of course, we know that's not the case, which is shocking because most of us are trying to think of, oh, what should we go back to the Old Testament days, that first century, man, when they had it all right. Everyone loved each other, shared with one another. And then you start reading 1 Corinthians and you read Ephesians and you start realizing, oh, wow, those guys really didn't relate to one another very well. They seem to relate to each other primarily in the flesh, not in the spirit. He then goes on to say, okay, you got the body of Christ. Now you got your, your husbands and your wives. Another great area to understand whether or not you're walking in the spirit is with your spouse. He says, love, love your husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church unconditionally in a, in a constant state of sacrifice on her behalf. And then wives, respect your husbands. Okay, so... Most of the men never feel respected. The women don't feel loved. We have this constant cycle, we know, when we do marriage seminars, uh, of this constant battle of love and respect. Well, if you try to do that in your flesh, it's never going to happen. You may fake it for a while, but Paul's getting to something here. He's saying, this is probably the greatest manifestation of your ability to walk in the flesh versus walk in the spirit. And he says, children and parents, children, you've got to obey your parents. So youth, sorry, that's what God says. Of course, we want to lay that one out all the time. We want to pull that card out. You've got to obey me because I'm the dad. But now what he says to me, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So to the level that I'm faithful with my command, there may be a chance that my children will come underneath that and choose to obey versus disobey. And we're going to talk about law and the nature of law in a second and why law is never going to work in relationships. Workers and bosses, be obedient to your masters. Uh, it says to, to the workers, so us as employees, okay, we're not slaves. We don't think we're slaves, but we are. 
but we're just, you know, they're using the word slaves in the first century language, but basically it's, hey, you guys that work at, you know, you name any multinational company, you name the embassy, you name the school you work at, wherever, you guys were slaves, let's face it. It says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. You mean I got to treat those that I'm reporting to? As if, I'm, as if I was treating Christ, as I was being obedient and in fear of Christ? Are you kidding me? Don't you know what an incompetent leader this guy is? This teacher who's hopeless? Are you kidding me? Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves to Christ. He just, he just ratches it up on us. Doing the will of, the, of God from the heart. Impossible. And then, okay, now I do everything right as the subordinate. Now he's going to talk to me about me being a boss. He says, masters do the same things to them. Give up threatening. Oops. In China, it's like your last line of defense and your first line of action. Just threaten somebody. That'll get them to do what you want. Right? Anyone that works in the workplace here knows it usually has to revolve around being threatened to get something done. But Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, sorry, guys. That's not the method of the work of the Spirit in your life. Then lastly, neighbors and your community. That's the fifth area. And basically, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, good luck to us on that one. Now, this is where the walking starts to come to life. When Paul is describing for us in the first verse of chapter 4, walking this out, and then he lays out all the context of all the different relationships. We go back to this verse again. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which you have been called. He's emphasizing the calling and being called, not try your hardest. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul is imploring and exhorting us. He's saying, walk by him, in your calling, work out who you already are, not go do a bunch of good things. Rob was, uh, was talking last week about the attitudes. And the attitudes are what people end up seeing. And those attitudes come from a core belief of who I am. So even before I have the attitude, the attitude comes from who I think I am in Christ. Then the attitude, and then you see what comes out of my mouth. So the tongue he talked about last week is an outcropping of who I actually believe I am. It's the last step into it, and that's where people get either thrown up on or they get loved on. And he says, lastly, be diligent in preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's a sense he wants unity in the body of Christ. And so anything that we are doing that's not participating in creating unity, we're doing the opposite of what Paul is asking us to do. Now, much of what we determine, we, are, we evaluate ourselves and how we're walking is really going to be based on how we treat one another. Paul makes this huge emphasis in his letters, not just in Ephesians, but in many, most of his letters, he uses the phrase, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another is extremely difficult in the flesh, if not impossible. In fact, I would submit to you, ultimately it's going to be impossible. The more you get to know somebody, the increased chances are they're going to irritate you. This is why they have a word for lust, and they have a word love, lust, eros, in the Greek, basically, the more knowledge you have of somebody, the decrease the lust goes. So anyone that has a lustful relationship with somebody, the more you know about them, the lust will decrease very rapidly. 
Because the more you get to know somebody, you're going to see their flesh, and it's going to be irritating. Now, in the beginning, my wife thought it was cute when I couldn't find my keys, couldn't find my shoes, where I would, you know, do something strange, you know, with a, a sneezing or a burping or whatever it might be that I did that was potentially cute in the beginning, but eventually became very irritating. Everybody of us has experienced that. And for you youngsters that haven't had a boyfriend or girlfriend yet, someday when you're 25 and you have your first boyfriend or girlfriend, you'll understand what I'm talking about. All right? Everyone owes me 100 quai for that. Uh. As we said earlier, we all like to romanticize that the early church was able to relate to one another and to do all these things in perfection. And it's just not true. Paul constantly had to remind us, and Ephesians is such a reminder about the fact that we cannot live this life without the Spirit of God working through me. Now, this goes back to the garden. The garden was, the story of the Garden of Eden is really important. There's, there's a part of that story that often gets missed. We emphasize Adam and Eve falling, but we rarely talk about what the real choice they had in the garden was. So they remember, they were created like this, a perfect relationship with God. So the story goes, they were created and they had perfect oneness with him. They had not morally sinned, so therefore they were born morally, or they were created morally perfect. Unlike us, the claim is we're not created and born morally perfect, but they were. And they also had a choice and they also had a desire for autonomy. So those were the, that was the cocktail, the mix of things going on inside of Adam and Eve that created the opportunity for this when they chose to go by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what's not really talked about much is that there was another tree in the garden. And that tree was the tree of life. The tree of life represents Christ, represents a relationship and dependence with God. These guys had a choice to make, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. Now, the problem is, even before the fall, the desire for autonomy, the desire to want to be God, obviously was present in some way. For Lucifer to first fall, for Adam and Eve to choose, to choose out of that relationship with God, there was something present within them that wanted, had some desire to be God. Now, today, the same problem still exists for us. Even if we are a follower of Jesus Christ today, we still have a choice to make. Am I going to walk by the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or am I going to tr walk by the tree of life. So as Paul talks about, here's who you are, Ephesians 1 through 3. Now in chapter 4, I still got a choice. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life? Now here's the, here's the essence of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what it looks like. I'm doing things versus being. I'm walking by the flesh. I'm depending upon my own effort. The word try is the primary word that comes into my mind when I think about my relationship with God. I'm trying to be a better Christian. I'm trying to be a better father. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to be a better boss. I'm trying to be a better neighbor. Try, 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 try. That's the word. It requires law. So think about the relationship with God is much easier in one respect if it's based on law because I know what the rules are and I just follow the rules and then I'm acceptable. Whereas the tree of life, there are no clear-cut set of rules. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different approach. He's saying, guys, in the law, give 10%. In 
And then all these other offerings are going to be about 22% of your income. And then we're square. So for a law-based person, for someone who wants to try to be a good Christian with regards to their finances, if I give 22%, I'm set. I've done everything that God requires of me with regards to my finances. The rest I can have and do whatever I want. Well, Jesus says, you know what, guys? It's all mine. And you're a, you're a manager of this. You're a steward of it. And at the end of time, I'm going to judge you for how you stewarded that. And you're like, oh, gosh, that, there is no law. Law would be much easier. I could just do the 23 and I'm done. He's saying, no, you have to remain in the tension of dependence upon me for how you're going to manage and, and steward this resource that I've given you. Whether that be your money, your time, or your talents. It's much more difficult. But we prefer. It's much more difficult to walk by the tree of life, but we prefer, clearly, the law. We look to, and when we follow the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we seek to accumulate virtues. We're trying to accumulate these things that the world would say are good. So there's different faith systems that would talk about virtue. And most of the faith systems talk about the same virtues of honesty and uh, love and, and peace and these types of words. So we'll, we'll seek to accumulate those in our life and we'll determine our level of sanctification, our closeness to God based on how many of those we've accumulated. There'll be a, a very strong desire to act like a Christian. So we show up on Sunday, we're going to act a certain way. We leave, we get in the car, we're going to act a different way. The first shrill voice that comes from the back seat, the real Chris comes out. The first sign of the first stoplight with the traffic jam up here, the Chris comes back out. The old man comes right back out. So I'm going to act like the Christian here, and then I'm going to go out there and be this other guy. So acting is a component of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And ultimately, no life can come from it, but it can look good to the world. And that's the reality of a lot of the body of Christ and all faith systems that have ever been created are based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do these things, you're acceptable God. Do these things, nirvana. Do these things, you're going to be reincarnated as something else. Do these things, do these things, do these things. Do, 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 do. Everything's about doing. So it's about try. Now we're following the tree of life, that's our desire, which is one based on trust. So we have trying or we can have trusting. The tree of life God says, everything's already ready, guys, like we talked about last time. Come. I've already done everything for you. Come. Rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, I'm going to conform you into my image. Come and rest and sit in who I am, and then we're going to walk this out together, and you're going to, re- re- you're going to rely on me for every aspect of what you're going to do. You're going to be versus do. You're going to lay aside the old self, and the new life is going to come. You're going to depend on me for how you love your wife. You're going to depend on me for how you love your children. You're going to depend on me on how you go and deal with your intolerable staff or your boss. You're going to allow me to be the one that comes through you to have that relationship. You know what? There's no law. You can't be saying, you know what, guys? We don't need a law to relate to one another. The law will not help. It'll help you. It may show you're sick, but it's not going to help you relate to me. Dependence is going to allow you to relate to me. And ultimately, as I go by the tree of life, as life comes through me, then life comes overflowing out of me into those that encounter me. And if somebody walks out of an encounter with me full of life, then the Spirit of God was present. If they come out with anything else, it was my flesh. I want you guys, everyone, to close your eyes just for one second. Okay, we're going to test this out. Close your eyes. Everyone's got to close your eyes. If you don't close your eyes, I'm not going to start. All right? 
close your eyes. And I want you to picture in your mind that person or persons that are the most irritating person you encounter in your week. The person that you don't know what it is, but they are able to get your blood pressure going better than any other person that's ever walked this earth. This could be an in-law. This could be, this could be a spouse. This could be a child. This could be a parent. This could be a coworker. This could be someone here in this fellowship. Now, you want you to picture that person in your mind. Now, this is how you normally would go about trying to resolve and deal with this person. You're going to sum up all your willpower and ask God to give you love. We're going to earnestly want God to give us love. We're going to go into that situation with our next encounter with them, and five to ten minutes into it, we're going to be flaming out. My old resentment will come back, my pride is hurt, and I sense defeat. Now, are we wrong to go and approach God and ask him for, his, for love for this person? No. What we're wrong in is we're seeking love, something separate from God, as opposed to God himself living through me. It's two completely different things. We don't need to seek God to give me love, to give me peace, to give me gentleness, to give me self-control. Those things are already present within me if the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I have to allow it to come out. It's two totally different things, and I'm telling you, if we try to walk the Christian life by asking him for these things, we'll be perpetually disappointed. I know everyone here, when you think about the interaction with that person, how many times you walk away disappointed in your inability to love them, because you can't love them in your flesh, but Jesus Christ living through you can. It's a difference between trying and trusting. I throw myself back onto God for that relationship. I throw myself back onto him so he can work through me, and then somehow, supernaturally, perhaps, they are loved. Now, most of you are probably sitting here and saying, Chris, yeah, we get it. You know, you've been talking about this, blah, blah, blah. This is two, two sessions in a row. We've been going on and on about this same point. I intellectually understand what you mean, but my experience does not relate to that. And that's okay. Everybody has to go through this process. Now, I think there's certain components that are just a highlight for us that we should think about on about if we're not experiencing this, what are some of the things we should be looking at to see why maybe we're not experiencing it? The first one is, do I even have a relationship with Christ at all? Have I repented of my sins? Have I accepted the free gift of grace for that forgiveness? And does the Holy Spirit actually really reside in me? If he does, I've got the first step. The second part is, do I reckon to be true? Do I believe to be true what Ephesians 1 through 3 says about who I am in Christ? Do I really believe that to be true? Do I think it's just an abstract thought? Am I able to recognize the Holy Spirit actually doing something in me? Have I ever seen it happen? I think you also have to ask yourself, are you willing to submit your own preferences to the will of God? We all know what the will of God is. He makes enough of it known to us. That voice that speaks in us when we're making a decision to go tree of life or tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's just saying, basically, your way or my way? Which one are you choosing? Another thing to look at is, have you been broken in some way? I think most people I know that have experienced real life in Christ where the Holy Spirit can flow through them is they have been broken in some way and they've received the brokenness. In the end, enjoy. Because they realize what God has done. He's broken that outer shell that restricts the Holy Spirit from working through me, from the indwelling life to come out of me. I stop trying and begin trusting. I rehearse Ephesians 1 through 3 in the morning, throughout the day, in my mind. I'm 
talking to myself, from reiterating to myself, who am I? And that way, as I come into those interactions, Christ is already present. I don't need to call on him. He's already available because I've already opened myself up from the very beginning of my day. There is something about the rehearsing of who I am that brings the experience to life. And am I willing to throw myself back on the Lord for every aspect of this moment-by-moment walk with him? Now, what I think you'll experience is that experience will begin to happen in little ways as you begin to throw yourself back on him in every one of these situations. Ultimately, you need the grace of God to pour out his Holy Spirit on you to believe this stuff to be true, for it to become manifest in your life. What I'm trying to do is move it beyond the theory into the practice of what it could look like as you walk through the day today. So you can hopefully begin to see that the Lord is already speaking to you very, very clearly. He wants you to rest in Him. So this word abiding that we are frustrated by in many times, you're not frustrated by it. You're like, you desire it. You long for it. See, the Holy Spirit works in two ways. There's the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells us as the believer, and we are special in that, in that before the time of Christ, the Old Testament saints didn't have that option. They had an outpouring occasionally of the Holy Spirit, but they did not have a permanent residing of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have that. Now, he also still outpours himself, and I pray this morning that he's outpouring himself right now in this body to understand the truth of what is being talked about, that these truths are something that go from here to here and then back out into the lives of those around us. Now, when I walk through my day, um, just a final couple thoughts. Just try to give you an example of what it looks like for me. This, this is because I try to, guys always ask me, and the guys I hang out with is, you know, what does it look like? So it, wakes, it starts with, I wake up in the morning, my first thought could be any number of different things. But my quick reaction to whoever that first thought is, is to go back to gratitude. Is to rehearsing the thankfulness to God for who I am, what he's already entrusted to me, the work he's done on my behalf. I just go through this whole litany, and basically it's, a, it's kind of a repeat of these passages in Ephesians, the passages in the Gospels about Jesus, what he describes of his yoke being easy and his burden being light. I go back and I rehearse that in my mind. And I begin to rehearse my day before I go into it and start meditating with the Lord and saying, Lord, you know what I'm going to be encountering today. And you know my flesh is so powerful, so strong, that I don't want my flesh to interact with anyone. I want you to interact with people. So I'm going to lay myself aside and need you to come out. And, you know, I may get 15, 20 minutes into it and I'm already off the rails. But then I'm able to go back and say, it's really funny how quickly I go off the rails. It's okay. I know you know that about me, and Father, I want to rest in you. I go back and I rehearse that. And there is a sense, there's a physical sense that I get when I'm resting in him and when I'm not resting with him. So there is a physical manifestation I think he does give us that helps us understand when we are resting in him and when we're working it out in our flesh. And I think it's important for us to know that because if we don't see that, if we don't sense that, then it can be a great discouragement. I think he does amazing things for each person, how you're built. He'll do it in different ways. But there's no question that he must do something to be his work, not mine. So I don't think about all the things i got to do right today. I never make a list of, i got to treat this person this way, this way, this way. It's not what it is. It's about, Father, you got to be the one because this person is completely unlovable. You know what I'm going to do. I want to punch him right in the nose. You know, how can these people be this 
obstinate. You know, just the rage that comes up the minute you start thinking about all the things you have to deal with, for guys at least. Um, and then he quickly takes that and says, Chris, you know, how do you think I feel about you when you're obstinate with me? Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, a, this is the fun. And then it becomes a fun dialogue, and it, it takes this pressure off, this burden of Christian uh, moralism that we're covered with oftentimes. We're to be free from the Christian moralism. He says his, his uh, yoke is easy, his burden is light. If you're feeling oppressed, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants our life. He says our life is a life of Christ mediated in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit himself. And the law of that life is spontaneous. What happens is that Christ's love becomes spontaneous. It's no longer rehearsed. It's out of the rehearsal that I'm present to him. He's able to be present through me. And it no longer it becomes like speaking English. I don't have to think about it. I just speak it. Whereas the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's like learn, speaking Chinese. And if you ask my kids, they would tell you, please, Dad, do not walk by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your Chinese is horrible. My daughter demonstrated that to me yesterday. I was just trying to pronounce meaning in, in Chinese. We were debating which word to use, and it's ee. And then she's like, no, ee. I say, ee. She goes, no, ee. I go, ee. She goes, no. I go, I mean, back and forth, back and forth. I'm going, forget it, you know. And it was just so obvious. I'm trying to do something I'm not built to do. And my pride and my ego was severely damaged. Every word I speak in Chinese, they, they knock me down. They make sure. Whereas I go to work and they all say how great my Chinese is all the time. I can't figure it out. <laughs> So guys, just in closing, he says again, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. So then do not be foolish. He doesn't want me to be a fool, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Most of us, make the most of every opportunity is not about productivity, which is what I originally thought it was, but it's about faithfulness to the opportunity to be filled by the Spirit, which means every moment of the day I have the opportunity. He says in Ephesians 5, allow yourselves to be continually made full. Continually made full. Be being filled is actually the translation. It's, it's amazing to get your mind right. Be being filled. Paul says, if I'm, I'm wise, if I'm ready every moment that I have a prompting from the inner man, from the Holy Spirit. And that I respond. As I respond, he fills me up. As I respond, he fills me up. I'm, I'm wise when I do that. But I've been a fool when I ignore it and I squish it down. There's no filling. So every time I choose to ignore his prompting, I squish it back down. There's no filling. He wants us to be more than disciples. He wants us to be watchful disciples. This passage is encouraging us to, encouraging us to watchfulness, to be ready to always be ready. Not just for him coming again, which he will someday, which most of us rarely think about, but be ready for the moment-by-moment -moment indwelling of his spirit that can overflow, where you can be filled, be being filled at every moment. I know many of you are still sitting and say, I still don't get it. What are you talking about? And that's good. 
That means you're close. That means the, word, the Lord is doing something right now at this moment. All maturity in Christ is an act of grace on his part. We can't take credit for it anyways. Any measure that I understand this to some level is a result of his grace. He has to take the ultraviolet light and shine it in your life and show you, Chris, here's a hidden sin. Here's a hidden obstinance. Here's a hidden pride that I'm going to reveal to you this morning. I want you to bring it back up so I can cook it with the ultraviolet light and burn it up. Now you're free in that area. My work of my cross has been done on that area of your life. Now I'm going to fill it with my Holy Spirit so you now can overflow into someone else's life. That's the moment-by-moment work of the cross and the Holy Spirit in combination in our lives. Right now he's shining that on each one of us. There's something in each one of us that is obstinate towards him, that wants it our way, that wants to walk by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's shining it right now in, in your heart. Right at this moment, he's shining on something and saying, you're walking by your own strength. I want you to throw yourself back on me in this area, and I'm going to show you what new life looks like in that area. If you're someone that's never thrown yourself on Christ in the first place, he's saying, I'm going to show you what new life looks like. I'm going to deposit my Holy Spirit in you. Open yourself up for it. If you're sitting here and you ask for that right now, his promise is he will come. His promises, he will come. You're all sitting right now, most of you, in these chairs. You're seated, you're seated in the finished work of Christ. And as he fills you, you'll be able to get up and walk, and your life will become an overflow to those around you. Father, we, I pray this morning, right now, that your Holy Spirit, there's an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to shine your light on this truth of Ephesians 1, and th- 1 through 3 on Ephesians 4 through 6. Father, that you would show us who we are, that we're seated in the heavenlies with you. That as we believe that to be true, as we're filled by your indwelling spirit, there would be an overflow in our lives into the lives of those around us, that we would be able to walk by you in every interaction. We would not seek to walk by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We would simply attach ourselves to the tree of life and receive the nourishment that comes from the tree of life that we would abide in you in every moment and every circumstance that we come into from this point forward. Father, we thank you for the grace that already has forgiven us for our obstinance, for the sins that separate us from you. But Father, we thank you that you've grafted us back in like a cut rose that you've grafted back on. We're now a beautiful representation of an exact representation of who you want to work through us. Your spirit through me is in the representation of who you are. So, Father, I pray that your outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would fill us with your indwelling spirit, and then you would overwhelm us with your light so we would know that you are the king and we are your followers. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.